Welcome to Disinfect. This is the first episode of a new podcast that uh, I, Matt Deal, the co-host and co-creator, has developed with co-creator and, and host at large, Morris Bernstein. Hello. Yes, the uh, the cool Mancunian Northern England voice is, is Morris, and the, the Midwestern newscaster is, is me, Matt Deal. I've got a very good face for podcasts, yes. by the way. Yeah. Yes, you wouldn't just believe how <laughs> handsome we are. We are we are devastatingly handsome here. And uh, Disinfect came about because I was having a debate on my Facebook page about the worst lyric in in history. And, and, and my least favorite lyric was Guilty Feet That Have No Rhythm from... From Careless Whisper, Careless by, Whisper George by, Michael. by George Michael. And it inspired this crazed like opinion war in, in a wonderful way. Everybody was really putting in their vote for the worst lyric. And and Morris, I forget what... what, what. Uh, Neil Diamond's Song Sung Blue, I think I put as, you know... Give me, the, give me yeah. the juicy one. Well, Song Sung Blue, everybody knows one. Song Sung Blue, every garden grows one. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. yeah. And then Weeping Mac- on a willow, sleeping on my pillow. I mean, just it's brilliant. <laughs> MacArthur Park also got in there in the running. Um, Chicago. Chicago. Uh, oh, yeah, that, that was my least, second least favorite. Um, a man selling ice cream, <laughs> yeah. singing an Italian song. Yeah. That is just the worst. the worst. So anyway, Morris reached out to me soon after that, and he said, you know, I have had this idea for a podcast, and reading that whole exchange made me think, we've got to do this. And I said, tell me more. Uh, and he said... Well, I think we should do a podcast about the worst music ever recorded. Ever recorded. <laughs> and and let's call it disinfect because we're going to we're going to air out the worst songs in music history. And also I you know, um I'm a big admirer of Dissect, the uh the Spotify podcast uh which, you know, goes into an in-depth on some of the greatest music ever recorded. So why not do it on the worst? Why not do it on the worst? And in fact, sometimes we learn different things about our culture and who we are from studying the bad music. And in a way, in the sort of like the moment where like the internet is sort of making everything good across the board, there's no extremes anymore in that way. There's no filler on records because you can't hide it. Yep. So finding those peaks of awfulness often Tell us something about who we are as people, I guess. A little about us. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Morris, I'm going to try to characterize you, and if I get it completely wrong, uh, tell me to sure. screw off. Um, Morris came to me. He um, runs the company Giant Step, which is sort of, an, I guess, what is it? It's a branding company. It's a marketing company. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we started off you know, as uh, a club, underground club in New York, and really bringing the elements of great music together. Um, you know, first thing I did was sort of find my favorite artists who were being heavily sampled and bring them back from retirement from Gil Scott Heron to George Clinton, Maceo Parker, Bootsy, etc. And then we kind of dived into the the music, which for want of a better word was called acid jazz. So Jamiroquai, uh, Massive Attack, artists like that. Then we became a record label, uh, help break artists like um, Amy Winehouse. Um, <clears throat> and then we started helping brands within music and culture. So we sort of build and create experiences and platforms for brands, and we get to play a lot in music. Yeah, and I always felt, what I always felt Giant Step was about, it was sort of an umbrella for kind of DJ culture. Yeah, I mean, back when, you know, there wasn't such thing as DJ culture, when the DJ wasn't the god that they became, we were really one of the first companies in America to really, you know, focus on great DJs uh, and really help elevate them. And, and and also you always worked with sort of, uh, this is kind of a funny word to say, but authentic mm -hmm. artists? Yeah. I mean, everything we do is authentic, except for this podcast. Except for this one. <laughs> totally fake. Um, but actually, actually, what's funny is that I actually discovered a lot of genres from you and explored a lot of genres, drum and bass, deep house, broken beat, rare groove. And the sort of the thing that linked all those and what made giant step special was sort of as the internet became the dominant force giant step sort of linked all those things and 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 i think what you said at the beginning was so apt which is what are the roots of what are we listening to and what what's the soul of what are we what we're listening to today where does it come from but then you know having a sort of a, a living relationship with the past in a way and and in doing so, it brings out the truth of the contemporary moment. Mm -hmm. And I think you've been doing that you know, in your marketing and branding. I think it's the same thing. Yeah, trying to stay relevant, which is very hard. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, there's so much. I mean, you know, this is not the subject of this podcast, but there's so much great music out there at the moment. Right. It's very, very exciting. And coming from all over the world, it's no longer just the archetype New York, London. Paris, Los Angeles, it's Jakarta, it's Bogota, it's Mexico City, it's Shanghai, it's really everywhere. Totally global. That was the other thing, yeah. too. I think Giant Step has always had a global... Yep, very uh, much so. Well, you know, the world, it's the world. I mean, you know, the world is, we've all got, we've all got a, music is the uniter as well. Correct. It's the, you know. Music has always been the culture, mm -hmm. cultural uniter, and, and again, tells us about ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um... So a little about me. My name is Matt Deal. I'm, I'm, as I mentioned, um, I've been a writer and critic for Rolling Stone and the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, um, Interview Magazine, and, um, and 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 actually, more as I kind of like your opinion on this. People ask me. They say, "Is it more fun to write a bad review and really stick it to someone, or write a good review?" And and I always say, actually, I would rather write a good review. Spending time on something that's bad, even at two to five dollars a word, 
it's not unless it elucidates something important you don't want to do it um you know and also too i think you and i work with artists very closely we're very sympathetic to the artistic process yeah. um, i was interviewing uh, the 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 famous tv producer john wells one time and he was saying you know people just don't know how hard it is to make something great and i said john people don't know how hard it is to make something shitty so so we do take this into consideration we're not just tearing people apart right and and in saying that i mean you know you'd rather write a good review you know the the voice of my company giant step is always a very positive one if we don't like something we just won't work with it so it's it's that's why this podcast is fun in a way because it's the it's the opposite just so you you, you know we're not here to diss anything we're just highlighting and trying to uh, disinfect just a really bad recording or song that somebody did uh, and they might have a, an amazing catalog so it's not that we hate this artist uh, some of them are going to be off some of artists that we like but it's really just highlighting a particularly bad recording record yeah we'll just a couple yeah oh yeah we'll just we, a few. Uh, we, we, yeah we, yeah and uh <laughs> and, and and something again we talked about this a little bit before but in the sort of translation or mistranslation something is lost something is gained um i think bad music we learn something about history mm -hmm. society a lot of the bad shit in history is sort of mm -hmm. in bad music yeah um and so, so we're kind of airing that out we're kind of finding those things that make it interesting um and again, and, and again, an artist's missteps sometimes are really fascinating. Mm -hmm. Genuinely bad music is a is a much rarer beast. It's mm -hmm. it's it's more distinctive and and sometimes it's more memorable. I mean, you like when we first started doing this, we couldn't stop thinking of oh, bad songs. Oh my god, the the lists went on and on and yes. on. Something I really also want to point out that I think is really important. This is not about guilty pleasures. Mm -hmm. I think guilty pleasures. Unless you, have, unless you have guilty feet, because yeah. you don't have any rhythm, right? Yeah. Correct. If, you're, if your guilty feet don't have rhythm, um, you're fine. No. But I, I feel like when someone says something's a guilty pleasure, it's kind of a cop-out. Mm -hmm. You're not really going there for how it's affecting you. Yep. So we're going to explore the, the bad music that really resonates and figure out why it weirdly matters. Um, and then we'll sell, send the sanitation bill uh, to the music industry, I guess. Um, oh, by the way, this is interesting. My second favorite lyric is from a terrible song, from maybe one of the worst songs ever written. What? Starship built the city on rock and roll? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, well, my first favorite lyric, I think, is from White Man and Hammersmith Palais by mm -hmm. The Clash, mm -hmm. which is, if Adolf Hitler flew in today, they'd send a limousine anyway. I mean, that's unimpeachable, mm -hmm. kind of. Um, but my second favorite lyric is from Do They Know It's Christmas? Uh -huh. Which is, if you're not aware of that, it's a, it was a charity single to, to bring... Which one of our songs today he sang the opening line on. Yes, this yes. nice segue. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, but my favorite lyric, which was not sung by the subject of our, mm -hmm. um, our podcast today, is uh, Thank God It's Them Instead of You. I mean that, that I mean just sung by Bono. We could go into how colonialist that song is like that's a whole different yeah. show. Yeah. Well that I mean that's <laughs> so just just um FYI we will be bringing up there will be seasons dedicated <laughs> yeah. to things like the worst um charity 
uh, song for and, and the worst Christmas song as well. Oh, I mean, yes. it could that could be in both. Yes. <laughs> uh, we're basically almost this first season is almost like a sampler yeah. of, of places we can go. Mine was the bitter sting of tears that Sting sang on that, Ooh. which was like, oh, you know. The double entendre was just ridiculously bad. But thank God it's them instead of you. That's a yeah. pretty brutal lyric. <laughs> right. That's pretty brave. And there won't be snow in Africa this uh, Christmas time. Uh, I mean, uh, like there ever was. Yeah, the, all that snow <laughs> in Africa. And, <laughs> that's and what they that. want. That's what they want when they're starving. They want snow. Bring <laughs> that snow. Um, so the first season of Disinfect, we decided to dedicate to the worst cover songs. Uh, yeah. The reasoning behind that, I think, is... It just says so much about both songs. Mm -hmm. They're not always great songs yep. that are being covered even. Yep. But when a cover song goes wrong, it just goes wrong in so many directions. And it's so wonderful. So a big thing in, with this show that we should point out right away that one, made me want to do it is um, Morris is from Manchester. He's Mancunian. Manchester, England, just not Manchester, Massachusetts. New, or, New Hampshire. Or Manchester, Tennessee, yes. or Manchester, wherever. And Yes, the real Manchester. He could, yeah. the, the, the football slash soccer. Um, football. It, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm just, I'm translating yeah. for our international yeah. audience here. Um, although actually, soccer was the original name, and England changed it. Really? To football. Yes. Well, England invented it, so how did they change it? I don't remember the etymology of it, but I, I swear we'll to God. we'll have to look into that. Yes, because, that'll be a whole other new podcast. Um, be, let's look into that, because it was invented in England, and, you know, rugby was invented before football, and which you carried the ball with your hands, and this is where you kicked it with your feet. So. I thought I thought it... I thought soccer. I thought soccer slash football was invented. The the king would chop off someone's head and they'd kick it oh, around. They, the, the yeah, field. but that that was the that was the very um, sort of yes. That, that was the very early version of it. <laughs> that was the Stooges of soccer to the Sex Pistols. Yeah, this, this, you know this this came like a few hundred years later when we stopped chopping people's heads off. You, you know? still have kings. I hate yeah. to tell you this. Yeah, unfortunately. Yes, yeah. probably not for long. Yeah, so. Morris being Mancunian uh, solves two big problems. Number one, if you've ever been to Manchester, if you've ever met a Mancunian, they know more about music than you do. The, the cab driver in Manchester knows the B-sides to this uh, rare soul single from, uh, that was put out on a local label in <laughs> Chicago, you know, better than you do you go to you go to manchester and you think you know something about music and you are schooled on every corner well actually you're schooled in every pub slash bar where you get drunk and then you hash out why something is great or terrible so so this so this podcast actually is sort of in the mancunian tradition yeah of of shit talking and tearing we, things we down. like our music yes yeah um and and, and morris in particular is, is a absolute crate digging train spotter uh I am full of useless information, and I'm very happy to share it with you on this podcast. I, I always say that I, I can only do the job that I do because I have this arcane information. Right. You know, from writing for fanzines yeah. and working in record stores. and I have, I have, useless information. I have no other training <laughs> whatsoever. Um, obviously, Joy Division is possibly the most iconic Manchester band. I mean, that's, that's or maybe Oasis. I'd say Herman's Hermits, actually. Herman's Hermits. <laughs> um... You got me there. Now, for me, 10cc, actually. 
I'm, I'm waiting to see if, if, if no I'm serious 10 cc without without 10 cc they they are most forward thinking creative band ever to come out of Manchester I'm learning new things mm-hmm. here without, without a shadow of a doubt which by the way 10 cc may show up in future episodes oh there's plenty of bad songs in the later years but the early stuff groundbreaking absolutely great production yeah. production lyrics musicianship bands the whole thing i love 10 cc yeah but that's another story that's another story but well i would argue as a non-mancunian mm-hmm. joy division and you have a very good argument yes that's a that's a very good argument yes i mean it's sort of the primal primordial ooze mm-hmm. of today mm-hmm. really um, which is probably why so many people get offended by the Paul Young yeah. version. So, yeah. so as a Mancunian, tell me when Love Will Tear Us Apart came out, you still lived in Manchester. Yeah, I was 15 years old. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, Joy Division were loved by, you know, people who were into that type of music at the time, like big time. I mean, when Ian Curtis died, it was it was a big deal in Manchester. Um you know, and you know, we were we were very lucky because you know we had these local this local TV station um, called Granada, um, and Granada uh, had a evening news show, a local news show, and one of the presenters was um, somebody by the name of Anthony Wilson, who went on to set up Factory Records and the Hacienda, etc. So he would find ways of getting artists like Joy Division on the television. Uh, totally underground yeah, artists. Yeah, totally underground, of. like uh, a certain ratio, uh, Joy Division. Um, Sex Pistols. Sex Pistols were on. I mean, and we, we would like be having our evening dinner and we'd watch his, it was called What's On, I think it was yes. the show. And he would have, a, and now Joy Division. And it'd be like 6.30 and we would see Joy Division. And it was like, all right. And then you'd eat a meat pie. Yeah. I, when I didn't eat meat pies at home. It was like, you know, you, know, like, you never know what's in it. Oh. <laughs> One thing about Manchester is the sort of insane civic pride. that, And also you tear down the person at the same time. Yeah. I mean, you know, the saying is that what happens in Manchester to today happens in London tomorrow. And we've always felt that we were ahead of... We led... London culturally and, and Liverpool as well to a certain extent so we don't like people from Liverpool but it, it's um, you know uh, it's it's you know you know the, the Manchester Guardian the Guardian was from Manchester uh, you know the Industrial Revolution happened in Manchester you know the the best music was coming out of Manchester the home of football etc etc we you know there's a, there's a pride in Manchester of what it has given to culture, not just in Britain, but around the world as well. And I think, it, and, and also I think Tony Wilson wanted to prove to the world that what was happening yeah. in Manchester was as cutting edge as in London. Very much so. Maybe even yeah. more so, maybe more relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's probably, I mean, for me personally, it is one of the most relevant periods in music. Mm-hmm. I mean, dance music came together as we know it, um, electronic music and punk music and formed and turned into hybrids. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the most uh, original artists of our time, Morrissey, 
obviously new order and joy division the the, the weakest artists of this time are amazing yeah. you know you don't hear the Daruti column a lot but a great band you know i mean there's there's a there's a very important moment in music history that happened in manchester uh, i think it was 1976 when the sex pistols first played the corn um, exchange in i think it was a lesser free trade hall or it could have been morris is correct yeah. it was the lesser free trade right. hall um and um it was organized by um the buscocks right and there weren't that many people in the audience but who was in the audience i think is more speaks to you know what then went on to happen in manchester so morris a young morrissey was there um i think the members of joy division were yes there. the members of joy division were there. Um, all of them howard devoto yeah he was in the buzzcocks uh so the buzzcocks were there um, billy duffy from the cult billy duffy was there was um simply read um, nick hocknall was Hucknall. there he yeah. was definitely there yeah and a, a couple of other people i'm forgetting because i don't have any notes in front of me but it was a pivotal moment, and that, I think that was the moment that really changed music, the direction of music in Manchester. What Joy Division did, I think, for music in Manchester was, again, it stripped it every, all back to the basics, mm-hmm. and even to soul. I mean, I think there was a lot of soul in Joy Division, Yeah, and there's kind of a soul to everything in Manchester. Yeah, well, no, the term Northern Soul... Uh, doesn't come from the north of America. It comes from the north of England. <laughs> the records um, came from America. Yeah, correct. The DJs were in England. Right. And the uh, dancers. Yeah. And so, you know, in Manchester, there were northern soul clubs, as it were, in Wigan and um, Blackpool and other, other places in the north. But soul music has always been um, a big part of our love, our musical love, and you can hear those influences in a lot of those bands. And actually, Joy Division... The connection to soul is not far at all because the song Interzone is an interpolation of a northern soul hit that I've completely forgotten the name of. But I think some, some A&R guy was like, hey, why don't you cover this northern soul song? And they did, and then they're like, hmm, well, singing those lyrics is naff, but why don't we put some William Burroughs over that? Okay, great. But getting back to Level Terrace Apart and its iconic quality, it became kind of that song that that sort of represented melancholy for people obviously yeah. because it was describing the dissolution of a relationship of a marriage um and it was pretty clear it was the marriage or suicide mm-hmm. i mean we sort of know that in hindsight but it, the emotions in it are so intense so strong so i mean overwhelming and then, when, obviously, when Ian Curtis died, that was magnified. You yeah. Know. Okay. One of the most iconic intros of any song. And what I think about when I hear this intro, it has all the energy of punk rock, right? But it's an acoustic, it's almost an acoustic sound. I think he played it on a 12-string. And so right away, it's like killing cliches. The Frank Sinatra of post-punk. <laughs> and that was the other thing. Ian Curtis crooning was a new idea. Yeah, for what was happening back then in music, it was like, it was shouting. Yeah. yeah. It was such a, it was such a, almost a, 
like not a not a fuck you to the Johnny Rottens, but it's like maybe we're gonna explore some emotion here. The bass is like a Greek chorus on this song. I like that Greek chorus. Yeah, it's sort of it's sort of restating the melancholy. It's a Greco-Mancunian chorus. Yes, <laughs> greco <laughs> And an amazing chorus. I mean... Yeah, whenever I hear this, I, I start singing Gigs Will Tear Us Apart Again. Gigs? Gigs. So, uh, he's uh, a, a legend. Oh, the rapper? No, no, no. Legendary Manchester United player. Oh! From Manchester. Of course. Ryan Giggs. So, we, we sing Gigs Will Tear You Apart Again. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, also the synth line. What's interesting about the synth line, I'll, I'll talk about this later... At the time, it was quite radical to have just one synth line sort of detuned, you know, and not a hundred notes like Rick, Rick Wakeman or something. Yeah. Anti-prog. Yes, it was the <laughs> anti-prog. It was, it was stripping away the junk. And, and of course, they, you know, didn't have a bank of keyboards either. <laughs> right. <laughs> In fact, not only was it not a bank of keyboards, Bernard Sumner ordered a kit from the from you know from the back of a magazine and built the keyboard. Oh, I didn't know that. So, um, yes, the anti Rick Wakeman for sure. Um, I think what else is interesting? I guess we're coming up on the end here. And what I love about this end. It kind of sounds like they don't know how to end the song a little bit. But then you realize they're sort of repeating the intro and the bridge. And it's kind of saying, you know what? This, this terrible thing that happened is going to repeat over and over and over and over again. Great tune there. Just, just one of the most devastating tunes of all time period and we have our own personal reasons for saying so and we'll get into that i think we will yes um let's see what does simon reynolds say about this song he says curtis's crooning vocal peter hook's bass and sumner's keyboard trace in unison the same shy crestfallen melody while stephen morris's drumming skitters with feathery unrest um sean o'hagan from the guardian he said it's something almost too real a music so dark and visceral so bottomless in its sense of despair that it seemed to have literally debilitated its main creator. When I first heard Love Will Tear Us Apart, it had that feeling of something groundbreaking. It sounded confusing in the way all great pop songs do. Hmm. Mm. This song literally tops the best songs of all time. So I get the logic of an A&R guy saying to Paul Young, hey, this is one of the greatest songs of all time. You're an interpretive singer. Why don't you try this? It's a really bad decision. Terrible. <laughs> well, and it's also clearly, it's like, how do we make you hip, man? Right. right. Well, he Paul Young had been around for uh, a few years at that point. You know, this this was not his first release, and he'd been around in other forms for a while before that. I mean, you know, Is, let's talk about his first release, which maybe 
the worst song of all time. Literally the worst <laughs> song of all time. And, and actually, Morris turned me on to it. I'd, it. I'd completely forgotten about it. So Paul Young was the singer of a little-known band called Street Band. There Was it a number one song? It, it was pretty popular when I was growing up. And um, it was called Toast. It's all about bread. It's called Toast. It's a novelty yeah. song about the, the joys and wonders of Toast. I think we should actually do a show on Toast because it, that song is Toast. It's like, So people listening, Google Street Band Toast. Stick it into YouTube. It is truly... It's truly the worst song ever recorded. And the great thing is they actually use toast as an instrument. They play toast. It's one of the instruments in the song. That's how incredibly good it is. Yes. So so Paul Young, um, he was in toast. Unfortunately, he wasn't toast. Um, That that launched his career. Um, So Paul Young next was kind of a credible soul singer. He was in a band called the Mm Q-Tips. And there, this is in the early 80s, and mm-hmm. there was kind of a, a trend. No, I think it was the... Soul Boys yeah, movement. Yeah, yeah. So it was, yeah, it was the early 80s Q-tips, yeah. Late 70s, early 80s. And he was kind of coming out of the Dexys Midnight Runners. Yeah, um, Blue-Eyed Soul. I mean, England has a great tradition of Blue-Eyed Soul singers. But I even feel yeah. like at that time, and what he was coming out of in particular, it was almost, it, it's not quite as heralded, but it was almost like there was sort of a, it, it wasn't neo-soul, um, actually, Giant Step was key in developing neo soul, yep. the genre. Yeah, but it was there was a there was a passion for soul music around the time that punk was happening, mm-hmm. and they were like punk. They were stripping away the artifice of it. Mm-hmm. So you were, you know, it was like James Brown, uh, Otis Redding. Mm-hmm. You know, it, they were almost punk rock in their just oh, yeah. sheer emotion. Oh, absolutely. And so the Q Tips was Wilson sort of, Pickett. Yeah. And so that's the vibe that they were going for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm trying to think, what, what was what was Paul Young's next thing after the Q-Tips? I think he went solo. Q-Tips got dropped, and he got signed to um, CBS, which is what we called Columbia Records in, right. in England, um, and started working on solo music. And he got signed by a very famous A&R guy yep. named Muff Winwood, yep. who is the brother. Yep. Of Steve Winwood. And also Muff was in the Spencer Davis group as well. And produced the first Dire, dire Straits album. Yep. Um, and also uh, Muff Winwood signed Prefab Sprout. Jamiroquai. Terrence Trent Darby. Sade. Sade. Um, Shaken Stevens. Oh, Shaken Stevens. This old house. And uh, the Psychedelic Furs. Mm-hmm. And Jamiroquai. And Jamiroquai. Let us not forget Jamiroquai. <laughs> um, and actually, what's funny, what's funny about the Psychedelic I felt like almost like Paul Young's version is sort of like a fake psychedelic furs song mm-hmm. with a little Northern soul thrown in. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, yeah. So yeah. So in the eighties, Paul Young, and then obviously Mick Hucknall from simply red, mm-hmm. they kind of led that sort of English blue eyed soul movement. Simply red were a little funkier. I mean, cause, cause Mick was a punk that he, right. in a band called the frantic elevators and the song, um, holding back the years, which was a beautiful ballad was actually originally a punk song. Yes, he wrote it, it was, I think it was their first single. Yeah, Frantic Elevators. Um, and... Sorry, I told you we were full of useless information. Yes, you're gonna, <laughs> your, your eyes will glaze. Um, so, but, but I bring that up because Paul Young, I really think of him as an interpretive singer. Mm-hmm. He wrote some songs um, that were hits, but his biggest hits really were covers. Yep, Wherever I Lay My Hat, 
Uh, which is Marvin Gaye. Yeah. Uh, Nikki Thomas's reggae song, Love of the Common People. Yeah. Which, yeah. which is a rotten. Terrible. Song. Terrible cover. Yeah. It yeah. was in contention. We really struggled with yeah. Paul Young yeah. to find yeah. the worst cover. Yeah. Um, and, and, and Every Time We Go Away. Yeah. Which is a, which is a Hall & Oates song. Yeah. Leave a Little Piece of Me. Yeah. Every Time uh, yes, it's <laughs> utterly terrifying. So, so he was an interpretive singer, so he had to find material, obviously. And I really investigated, how did he come to choose Level Terrace apart? And it was exactly what we were talking about. It was like, you're kind of an old-fashioned, middle-of-the-road artist. You know, how do we set you apart in today's modern marketplace and add all mod cons to, mm-hmm. your, to your obviously retro vibe? And this is what Paul Young said. Should I do it in a bad English accent? Do you sure, go ahead. Uh, no, I can't do it. I'll, I'll, I couldn't do it in front of... I've already called Man U, Man U in front of, yeah, yeah, uh, in, yeah, in front yeah, of Morris. Yeah. Uh, I'm already it's in like trouble. It's like calling New York the Big Apple. Yes, yeah, Chi-Town, yeah, yeah. the Windy City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Paul Young himself said, why did he choose Level Terrace apart? And he said, somebody said, why don't we find a new song and throw it back into the soul idiom? which ended up being Level Terrace Apart. We asked ourselves, how would Levi Stubbs sing Level Terrace Apart? Normally you can't do that, but that's me on the first album saying, I'm going to do a punk song and imagine the Four Tops doing it. Uh, I don't see any or hear any Four Tops in there. I, I maybe hear one top. Yes. Yeah. yeah. One or top half, spinning. Half, half a top. Yes. It's like half a top. It's like the sound <laughs> of one hand clapping. Okay, right there. He dispenses with the intro that provides all this tension. He slams right into the song, and he tries to make it like a major chord, fist-pumping anthem. When routine bites hard. Okay, when routine bites hard, impossible line to sing. <laughs> Marvin Gaye can't sing that song, <laughs> that line. I've been counting the Joe Cocker moments in this song. If you drank every time there's a Joe Cocker moment, yeah, you'd be drunk by the end of it. Horribly. Horribly awkward take on the chorus. And so here, this would be where Peter Hook is sort of restating the melody, very, and it's just bombastic. And you believe everything he's saying in this song as well. Oh, well, we'll get into it later, but he really misunderstands the whole point of the song. Completely. Oh. It is bad. <laughs> it's, it's really bad. The bridge is coming up. That's really awful, too. So it's crazy about this bridge. Oh, there's a woman with a Germanic accent intoning the lyrics. This is a key thing in the 80s. You had to have yeah, a, of a strange German woman saying something yeah. nonsensically over yeah, your track. Yeah. To give it some gravitas. Yes. Some Teutonic gravitas. Yeah. Also, this, this 
this bridge is sort of the climax. It's sort of climactic, and it's like three minutes to go. So in this verse, there's a call and response where he'll sing something, and then the guitarist will answer with the most cliched 80s guitar effect noise. Do you think he's using the hammer effect on his guitar with that, or is he... uh, Oh, (laughs) I think, well, between between the guitarist and Pino Palladino, there's... There is no abuse. Well, I mean, I, I, know, listen, I know Pino's. Pino, uh, I don't think we can, we can, we can. Yeah. Oh, Pino sticks it to himself. Oh. Don't worry. Yeah. I know he's one of your favorites. No, Pino's awesome. Yeah. Um, I remember used to watch him with uh, Gary Newman. That's when I first saw Tubeway Army. Now, again, Joy Division didn't know how to end the song. Holy shit. Paul Young did not know how to end the song. So this is a post-punk song, right? What yeah, do they do? 1983. Well, the, the original is 1980. The spirit, right. the spirit is is you know fuck you to pop, and they decide to jam out in the worst session musician <laughs> way. <laughs> it's like okay, where do we end? Uh, and actually, when you, when you listen to the fade out. You really hear like the ste- the Steely Dan wankery just going off. It's, it's it's distressing. I wouldn't compare this to Steely Dan in any way, shape, or form. Okay, I'll put it like this: I, I will defend say, Steely Dan to my death. I love <laughs> Steely Dan, and in fact, um, I've interviewed them, and they are more punk rock than mm-hmm. punk rockers. They are they are angry, crazy, weird, iconic, iconoclastic motherfuckers. And I love Steely Dan, but as an influence, Steely Dan is a bad influence on other musicians. Well, often it, it, it's like if you try and be Steely Dan, no one else can be Steely Dan. Exactly. So it's like, and so there was a lot of trying to be Steely Dan on "Love Will Tear Us Apart" by Paul Young, right? Which is a big problem. So, um, what's funny is I don't remember when I first heard "Love Will Tear Us Apart," which is obviously the more iconic, mm-hmm. but I definitely remember when I first heard Paul Young's version. And I was in England. I'd saved up $2,000 to go to England to buy Dr. Martin's. Wow. In 1983. You couldn't get him in Chicago? No, not wow. distributed. Wow. And uh, I was hardcore. You know, I had, to, I had to get, I had to go, you know, it was a pilgrimage. It was right. a spiritual pilgrimage. And I was staying at this like family friend's house and they were watching some nature program on the BBC. And over the end credits- As one does. As one England, does. You just watch a nature program. That's all, that's all we watch on TV. Though, yeah. I was actually quite disappointed. I got to England and I thought we'd be going to clubs <laughs> yeah. and really just- You just watch nature programs. Richard, yeah. uh, Richard Attenborough. Yeah, Richard Attenborough, yeah. No, no Dave, is David Attenborough? It's David, David Attenborough. Yeah, yeah, Richard's his brother, yes. the director. They're, but Dave completely dominated yeah. the nature yeah. documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a real thing what we're talking about. It is both a joke and serious. So anyway, so this nature document, this BBC nature documentary plays out. I'm sitting there in full punk regalia. And Love Will Terrace Part by Paul Young begins. And I just remember my jaw dropping and a well of anger swelling up inside me. So this is 1983. Ian Curtis had killed himself three years earlier. And... 
it was too soon. The spectator said this. Uh, they actually determined, I don't know if I said this earlier, that this is the second worst song. Second, no, second worst cover of all time. In a very scientific poll, the spectator of England. Mm-hmm. Very figured, respected journal. Very respected journal. Took a poll, and this was the second worst cover song. What was the worst? We're going to be, okay. we're going to be tackling it. <laughs> at, it's, in fact, the worst cover song will be the end. Oh, okay. It'll be Excellent. the end of the season. Oh, okay. Um, by five points. Ooh. Joy Division came in second by five votes. Why is The Spectator wasting its time doing a poll like that in such a respected journal, you know? Um, for the same reason we're doing a podcast on the exact same topic. <laughs> well, we have nothing better to do. That's true. I mean. <laughs> so this is what they said. Um, they said, a dozen people nominated Paul Young's Love Will Tear Us Apart. Ian Curtis of Joy Division recorded the original, which was about the disintegration of his teenage marriage. Not long after, he committed suicide. Paul Young's weedy, shallow reading a few years later might have sent a few listeners over the edge as well. That's really brutal. That is very, very brutal. Um, Oh, we should do a little more trivia. Okay, go ahead. So just a little more background on um, the original level Terrace Apart. Mm -hmm. It was actually in response to one of truly the worst songs of all time. Mm Mm-hmm which was Love Will Keep Us Together by Captain and Tennille. By Captain Tennille. Ian Curtis was in a car listening to the radio and Love Will Keep Us Together came on the radio and he said, what if we made it Love Will Tear Us Apart? But it's such a catchy song, Love Will Keep Us Together. I mean, it, that gets in your ear and you just can't stop singing it. It, it messes you up. Oh, it's great. I like that song. Yeah, and yeah. then again, anybody bad music. Who, anybody who plays the piano with a sailing hat on is all right by my book. It is. It is a step in the right direction. <laughs> yeah. um, well, but what's interesting about that is and calls themselves captain as well. I mean, just you got to respect that. It is yes, yeah. Yeah. and Tennille. Yeah. Apparently, what Joy Division were going for on Level Terrace Apart was Frank Sinatra and the number one song in Heaven by Sparks. Hmm love sparks so if you've never heard of sparks it was a band that was from la mm-hmm. but were huge in england couldn't get arrested yeah. in the united states and they were kind of like um i think i would sort of describe them as very, queen, queen on speed very ahead of their time with disco oh but i've just got to say one thing the brother who played the piano scared the living daylights out of me when i was a kid oh yeah i mean you know he didn't he's probably a really nice guy but he came across as being really creepy yeah um this town ain't big enough for the both of us (laughs) ridiculous great tune yes (laughs) i think what joy division was looking at in sparks if you know that song the number one song in heaven Mm -hmm. the melody actually is a little similar to level terrace apart Mm -hmm. and it kind of how it rises and it's a very idiosyncratic melody mm-hmm. um, sparks always had crazy acrobatic yeah. weird melodies oh yeah no i mean the, the it's operatic singing in a way you know i'm interested to know what that actual background is it's got to be some sort of eastern european classically trained you know like yeah sparks did not make sense and and, and they were fantastic for it and actually that song was produced by Giorgio Moroder. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting about Love Will Tear Us Apart is it was sort of merging the sort of nascent electronic yeah. music. Disco in a way. Yeah, the, the, the sort of the harder edge of disco, mm-hmm. um, more metronomic, more yeah, robotic. Yeah, 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 
Uh, Definitely which, Giorgio's production. Yeah. If you think about, you know, um, the Donna Summer stuff that he was doing, and you know, and and also, um, what was the movie he did? The soundtrack. To the oh, movie? Midnight Express. Midnight Express. Yeah. Yeah, and and and. Um, did he do Midnight Express? He did. Was that Van Gelis? No, 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 no. Van Gelis yeah. was Blade Runner. Yes. Sorry. What kind of train spotter are no, you? I'm, Jesus, I'm tired. I know. Um, <laughs> so, so in in Level Tears Apart. There is that sort of there is a synth, there is synthesizer. Mm-hmm. There are these sort of modern elements. There's there I think there is a drum machine, and it sort of interacts with the drummer Stephen Morris's drums. Mm-hmm. So you sort of never know what's a drum machine, what's right. what's what's human, right. what's not. Which is which is sort of the magic of that music. It's like this sort of dystopian cyborg yep. music, which actually also, to be honest, reflects the landscape of Manchester. It's more mechanical and industrial than other pop music of that time, in a way. Yeah, you've also got to understand what was happening in the at that time as well, like 1980. Um, Margaret Thatcher had come into power in 1979, and there was a shift. And really, the north, um, the Took north the of England, of was 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 really you know, going through a major, major depression and was being left behind, um, whereas the South was modernizing much quicker. So unemployment was very, very high. And it was kind of very depressing, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and even that, and that impossible first line to sing, when routine bites hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's so Mancunian because it's like every day is a routine. You get up, you go to the factory, you come home, you drink, you watch the telly, go to sleep on the couch, you get up, you go to the factory, that's it. That's what you have to look forward to. Well, you to. were lucky if you were going to the factory because a lot of people were just unemployed at that point. Yes. You know, or on strike. I mean, Johnny Marr talks about growing up, I think he had dirt floors. And toilets outside. Yeah. Yeah. And this was, this and was the were, 80s. You were lucky. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that was just such an innovative mix. It's hard to think Paul Young is going to improve on that. And also, too, it's so idiosyncratic to Ian Curtis. Yeah. Like the melody is so weird and almost unsingable by anyone else. There have been a couple better better covers of it. I think Nouvelle Vogue actually is like oh, one of my yeah, favorites. Oh yeah, Nouvelle Vogue did a great version. Yeah, that's you know, right. You have to kind of, you really have to make it your own. And, but they're zany. So, yeah, yeah. Whereas Paul Young was seriously covering it. You yes. Know? So let's uh, let's really disinfect now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Level Terrace Part by Paul Young. I feel like. Paul Young's version of the song, it goes wrong. From the first note. From the first note, which is, he scraps the intro, this iconic intro from Level Tears Apart, Mm -hmm. which builds this tension and drama that just takes you into the song. With Paul Young, it's just like, boom, you're in it. Hi, we're here. Here we are. Like I, I was saying before, now it's this major chord anthem of survival. Yeah. It's completely misunderstood the, the original song, and I actually was thinking about it. Paul Young essentially reimagines Love Will Tear Us Apart as Love Will Keep Us Together. Oh, that's interesting. So in other words, if you listen to kind of the, the overall sweep of it, it's like, baby, Love Will tor- Tear Us Apart, but we're going to go do our thing. And, 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 you know, we'll get together, we won't, but this is right for us, baby, and we're going to go on mm-hmm. and we're going to make it. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a song about survival instead of a song about... Killing yourself. Armageddon. Yeah. And and so personal and emotional yeah, yeah. Armageddon. Correct. And so right there, he's completely misunderstood the entire 
entire song. Um, yeah, uh, Simon Simon Reynolds said the post punk years and, and Love Transport in general. It was a mood blend of anticipation and anxiety, a mania for all things new and futuristic, coupled with a fear of what the future had in store. If one group caught that mood, it was Joy Division, whose music was dark and despairing, but whose sound seemed thrilling in its ice-cold technological thrust. And then you have Paul Young being like, well, let's just make it absolutely the most cliche elements of the immediate era. Mm-hmm. You know, Joy Division made something timeless. I'm going to make something totally banal and dated. Mm-hmm. And, and again, you know from running a record label, the second someone says, well, we need to make that a little more contemporary. You're dead. You're dated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I also feel like the vibe that, that Paul Young has in this, in this song, it reminds me of Fire and Desire by Rick James. Mm. Now, why am I saying that? So in the original Love Will Terrace part, Ian Curtis is like, baby, our marriage sucks. I'm so bummed out. I'm going to kill myself. In Fire and Desire, Rick James is telling his woman, baby, I was so crazy then. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, things will be different. Like, like everything got torn apart, mm-hmm. but we're going to be together because we love each other. And I feel like that's what Paul Young is doing here. It's aggravating to me. Yeah. So Paul Young is a singer's singer. Technically, he's an amazing singer. Oh, he's got a great voice. And, and, kind of, and I will say to his credit, when he kind of goes in the right direction... When he's not misguided, he can yeah. find mm-hmm. elements of soul and yeah. that are quite compelling. But his voice is so awkward with the melody here. Every line, he kind of doesn't know. It doesn't sound like he doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah, yeah. It's not coming from the heart. No. This is another thing you realize, especially being into like rare groove and soul, is if you're going to jazz out the melody, especially an iconic melody, you're an instant lounge singer vibe. Mm-hmm. So... I counted eight Joe Cocker moments hmm. in in Paul Young's version of Love Will Tear Us Apart. He's so histrionic in the wrong direction. And the other thing that's just so annoying is like Joy Division's technological drum machine game on mm-hmm. Love Will Tear Us Apart and other songs was so profound and groundbreaking. And then you listen to Paul Young's and it's, it's like, what's the most cliche 80s thing in that time? It's mm-hmm. not even like listening back. It was like, Really? That's the drum pattern you chose? The Human League, I think, came out like three years earlier, and that sounds like massively avant-garde next mm-hmm. to this mm-hmm. supposedly au courant sound. Now, we've, now, a great matter of debate in this song between Morris and I is the presence of Pino Palladino. Mm-hmm. Now, listeners, I think Pino Palladino may be the greatest living bass player today. Uh, well, Larry Graham is still alive. I'd say Stanley Clark. Okay, maybe um, maybe under... Ron Carter. Under 60. How's that? I think Pino's 60. It's got to be. Okay, six, be. Under 61. <laughs> I think he's probably older than that. Tal Wilkenfeld, actually. She's a great bass oh, player. awesome. She's, she's great. She's great. Yeah, Australian girl. Yeah, Superb. and she's like 19 or something. No, crazy. she's probably like 40 now. No, no, she, no she's like 25. <laughs> I swear to God. So, but anyway, Pino Pino Palladino is considered one of the great. Oh, he's players. awesome, and he's been on like thousands. I mean, he played with D'Angelo. Um, um, oh yeah, like thousands uh, and thousands of sessions. Great bass player. He and played the, the Rolling Stones, I think. And the Who? The who? No, no, Dol, jo- Dol Jones. Daryl Jones. The he's, Stones, he's, he's yeah. yeah. Dol yeah. Jones, who was with Miles Davis, has been with the Stones for the since they threw Bill Wyman out. But Pino was Pino Palladino played with the Who. Yeah, and I'm trying to forget John Mayer. Um, I'm trying Plays to with everybody. Yeah. And Gary Newman, Chubway Army, was the first time I saw him on Top of the Pops. 
Yes. Our friends electric. Our friends electric. And, but I will say on this song, and especially, so he he plays bass on the Level Terrace part with Paul Young, mm-hmm. and he's playing a fretless bass. Mm-hmm. And Pino Palladino became quite famous for playing the fretless bass, and he he yeah. may have actually played the most iconic fretless riff, which mm-hmm. is is that every time I go yeah, away, yeah, yeah, it's boom, 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 and. I will say this. He's one of the greatest bass players of all time. Mm-hmm. He wildly overplays on this song. And if, you know, he, Peter Hook is a punk bass player. Mm-hmm. Pe- that Peter Hook can play four notes. Yeah, and have more meaning than... Yeah. Is amazing. Mm-hmm. And Pino is playing 75 notes where Peter Hook is playing four. Yeah. And it's really, really bad when you watch live versions. He is jazzing out like nobody's business. And it, it, it takes you out of the song. It takes you out of the emotion of the song for me. Um, and also what's funny, Pino seems to be a little embarrassed about his time with Paul Young. He, 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 like, he talks about... Um, Every time you go away, yeah. He's like, I literally, I was out of tune. I thought they were going to erase it. Right. It was probably one of the worst performances I've ever done, and now it's the most iconic. He sort of apologizes for this period, which I find hilarious. It also, that sort of that sort of uplifting vibe, it reminded me of a lot of 80s songs that tried to do that, mm-hmm. like John Parr. Remember John Parr, St. Almost Fire? Oh, of course. You know, it's this, this, this totally artificial... English artist. Yes. Who made it in America. We, we were like getting like these, all these artists we never knew about would go to America and then they'd Rupert Holmes with the Pina Colada song. Yes. English artist from Northwich, Cheshire. Um, John Parr. Uh, and, and all of them had very strange 80s hair, including Paul Young. Oh, absolutely. White Snake, David Coverdale, White Snake. Hair. You know, hair, but like, you know, basically reinvented himself in America. Yeah, a lot of them did. And so we, we, t- we touched on this a little earlier. Um, Another thing that is so cliche. Saint Elmo's Fire was a Saint awful, Elmo's awful, Fire. Awful, awful song. God, why did you have to mention that song? You know what I love about that? That'll be in the worst soundtrack <laughs> soundtrack themes for sure. That'll be a later disinfected episode. With the episode. worst movies, yes. <laughs> but that song it just keeps soaring. It keeps yeah. getting higher and yeah, higher. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, higher yeah. than the mullet. Yeah. So and and we talked about this a bit. Um, there's this weird sort of. Germanic, Teutonic, spoken word, female voice thing mm-hmm. in the middle of the song. And I found out it's a woman named Dagmar Kraus, and she was a Krautrock icon. Hmm. And she worked with Henry Cow and the hmm. Art Bears. Oh, wow. And she's very famous for her interpretations of Bertolt Breck, Kurt Weill, and the, uh, the producer, I think, Lori Latham. The producer of Paul Young's song, I think he was in the band Slap Happy, which was a crazy art rock. I never heard of them. So anyway, this completely pap, totally cheesy 80s record was made by strange right. German-esque art rockers. Like creative, like, yeah. yeah. Interesting. So I think everyone needed a check, obviously. And then Dagmar Kraus, though, she leaves off this performance on her Wikipedia page. Oh. So she has the Stranglers, she has Henry Cow, Art Bears, Bertolt Brecht. But somehow forgets to, uh, to add that. Interesting. That's, yes, um, and, and it's funny. It's I think I think this is I think this is from either her her Wikipedia page or, or or her 
personal page, whether a song calls for Teutonic severity, cabaret intimacy, folkish breeziness, operatic strength, or straight-up rocking, inimitable vocus, Dagmar Krauss does it all. I call it sort of the Sprockets moment mm-hmm. that had to be in sort of every mm-hmm. 80s hit. So Spr- Sprockets was... Um, uh, was Saturday Night Live. Fred, yeah. was it? No, Fred? no, um, Mike Myers. Right, right, yeah. And he yeah. would wear like a black turtleneck yeah, yeah, yeah. and only speak in a German accent yeah, yeah, yeah. about very deep things. Yeah. So, so we invented that in the 80s. Yeah. And you always have to have some random Germanic thing going on. Um, Incredible. Yeah. Well, the Weimar was sort of very big with the punk movement mm-hmm. you know the decadence mm-hmm. the opiates well joy division yeah joy division is a slightly distasteful <laughs> yeah. name there new order yes couldn't get more weimar than that or post weimar um Duridi column is that a slightly fascist element a i think reference so. really I, yeah we should look it up i mean columns in general yeah, fascist yeah. love mm-hmm. but again coming out of that time i think they want to remind people of current history you know what I mean? They wanted to offend people. They wanted to take people to the height of offense. Yeah, that was the whole thing of punk. But what is a Doritti? Do you know? I have no idea. It sounds like a Fibonacci yeah. pattern or something. Ah, oh, here we go. Buenaventura Doritti. He was Spanish. Hmm. Uh, yeah, he was a he was an anarchist militant in the Spanish Civil War. So we did not mean to, to paint you with a tar, with the, with the brush of fascism. Yes. Sorry, sorry Duriti. So, sorry, Buenaventura Duriti. May, may you rest in peace. What a cool name. Yes. One of the cooler factory names. Yes. Really going through this systematically, right away, Paul Young's intro strips the original of its tension. Mm-hmm. A. You, you can tell he doesn't know quite where to take this. You know, that the bleak poetry of that opening line, when routine bites hard and ambitions are low... Pure northern gritty realism, you know. I mean, you couldn't imagine a lounge singer hitting those. Definitely not those lines. And then, um, oh, this is this is one of my favorite moments. And resentment rides high. What does his voice do? I don't know. What it goes it? high. Ah, when resentment goes high, is <laughs> very bad. That was the, that's really the first Joe Cocker moment in the song, I think. Um, and then we're, we're changing our ways. That's Joe Cocker too. I was actually thinking about the chorus. If you think about this, the way he sings it, and love, love will tear. It's sung in a way you hope your lover never speaks to you. It is totally patronizing. It's like, baby, yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. I'm out of here. And then, and by the way, you were saying earlier, you actually had a football chant. Yeah, yeah. So tell tell me about that. Well, the, the chant was, um, I mean, it's, it's a tradition for the terraces to take pop songs uh, or, or popular songs and turn them into football chants. And um, with Joy Division coming from Manchester, I think some of the members are United supporters. Um, I can't tell you exactly. City um, or United, who will it be? I, I, they can't be a divided band. I don't think there's any divided band. I think you're either City or, 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 or United. Right. Well, I think Stone Roses are City. No, Stone Roses are United. Think about that blue no, cover. No, Stone Roses are United. Oasis are oh, City. Wait, Simply Ready United. Um, but you know, Ma- what happened? Man- Manny's a big United fan. I, big, big red. You know, I was wrong, or you know, why I thought. This? Uh, what's his name from Stone Roses? Um, Ian Brown, big red. Okay, the reason I thought this, there is a story. I think Kevin Cummings, the famous Manchester photographer. Mm-hmm. He took a photo of the Stone Roses and he secretly did it in city colors Ooh. without 
them knowing. Right. And he did it as a subtle fuck you. And they were so fucked up. I think they did not notice. So, yeah. So getting back to that. So we uh, had a player called Ryan Giggs, the most decorated player in um, Premier League history. Um, and he was a winger and very fast back in the day. So the song was, instead of love will tear us apart, gigs will tear you apart again. Every time he would run down the wing and score a goal or cross the ball. So, And now we, you know, he retired um, about six years ago or so. And um, more recently, the song is now being used for uh, a young player called Daniel James, where it's James will tear you apart. You have to sing, you have to sing both versions for us. Well, it's the same song. It's just like, instead of gigs, it's like, Gigs, gigs will tear you apart again. So you can imagine that with, uh, uh, you know, like 50,000, 60,000 people singing it. But please, but please cut out me singing these football songs. They will absolutely be in there. Um, So another thing I noticed about the Paul Young version, and and again, this is almost like a textbook bad song. Mm -hmm. There are just literally stock moves he makes that, mm-hmm. that really anyone that knows anything about songwriting would avoid. What I noticed in each verse, there'd be sort of something that would happen that was a little off. Yep. So, for example, in that, I think it's the first verse, why is the bedroom so cold? There are these kind of completely inappropriate female backing singer, ooh, ooh, oohs. And, and then a ridiculous 80s synth flourish. Mm-hmm. And what I realized was in each verse, there's like one exciting thing that happens that never happens in the cor- in the song again yep. To, yep. to create some sort of interest. Yeah. And it's so... They're trying to put lipstick on a pig at that point. Yes. I think. Yeah. Yes. And so, um, I mean, it, there's just so many versions of that. And, and actually, I think it's the third verse, and it was clearly designed for live performance. Mm-hmm. Paul Young will sing, you know, do you cry out in your sleep? And then the guitar answers Mm -hmm. with some like 80s, are my feelings exposed? Mm -hmm. It's so dated. It's it's bad arranging. And then the other thing I noticed, when a singer doesn't know how to sing a song, they add syllables to monosyllabic words. So, yet it's something so pure. Joe Cocker moment. I just can't function no mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he literally hits in like many syllables in the word more. Mm-hmm. Lots of jazz hand flourishes throughout this. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we talked about this before, a terrible jam ending the song with a repeat of the Teutonic German, you know, gravitas interlude. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the climax happens at the bridge and then it just kind of peters out. It fades into super jam... Yeah, history. Just, yeah. Uh, oh, and there's a little bit of like fake David Bowie scary monsters guitar there. Mm-hmm. Carlos Alamo. Yes, being or, or Fripp, I think it's more of that. Oh, like, is it Fripp? They're like, okay. you know, the kind of mm-hmm. Adrian Ballou. and it's like you literally hear this band figuring out how to end, and they're looking at the studio engineer going, and they just kind of slide out. And again, what we said before, Joy Division at that climax they reinforce the fact this is going to happen over and over again. They right. repeat the theme in this sort of repetitive way that's actually meant to even, I think, sound like like machinery. Mm-hmm. You know, they're trying to make, be human, a human factory, literally. And to replace that with like, Wee! 
it upsets me. It upsets me. So, so to conclude our exegesis, or, try saying exegesis 10 times. To conclude our exegesis slash disinfecting of Paul Young's Level Terrace Apart, I thought I'd return to some analyses from, from other people. Yep, go ahead. You know, it's not just us. No, we're not, we're not the only people. We're not the, so, so as I mentioned before, it was voted second worst song. By the spectator. By the spectator, by the readers of the spectator. In what year was that? I think that was three years ago. Okay. Well, I mean, wow, the, it really resonated then. Right? Yeah, no, people still, um, they still kind of rage about it. Um, which is, that's the sign of a good, bad song. That's, that's when you know you yeah, really... Stand, it can stand the test of time with its badness. With its yeah. stink. Yeah, exactly. The stink, yeah. the stench yeah. stands the test of time. It resonates. So, um, so really, actually, a good book, um, Mad World and Oral History of New Wave Artists and Songs that Defined the 80s by Lori Majewski and Jonathan Bernstein. She said, um, I can imagine the horror with which it was received by Joy Division's army of gloomy fans, not to mention the surviving band members. Mm-hmm. Um, another forum comment I found, the Paul Young version plays constantly in hell. Oof. Right? Shocking, absolutely hideous. Wow, I've never quite gotten over it. Wow. Um, another one from The Spectator, this gutless travesty, lay in wait for anybody who unwittingly bought that first Paul Young album. Where is Paul Young now? I heard his mullet had been saved for the nation, but let's hope his records haven't. Um, Oh, and then uh, there was actually, there's actually a book called Bad Music, The Music We Love to Hate. It's referenced in there. I think that that is, if if you, if you get referenced in a a book called Bad Music. Right. You're bad. It's not a good sign. No. Um, Oh, this was a good one I loved. So Paul Young co- covered Level Terrace Apart. Blimey, I hope it's as good as Russ Abbott's Atmosphere. Wow. You guys know who Russ Atmosphere, who Russ Abbott was? Please tell us. Oh, my God. Russ Abbott was a British comedian who, I mean, just in the best British humor was funny because he just wasn't funny. Right. I mean, that's probably my my take on Russ Abbott I'm sure there'll be people who disagree with me but it just an atmosphere is uh, we should actually cover atmosphere I mean this song is terrible the Russ Abbott atmosphere oh, just, well there will be more worst covers oh my god I mean there's yeah. it is it is a never-ending um, thank you for reminding me about that I, to- that, I totally erased that song <laughs> out, and Russ Abbott out of my mind and now unfortunately I we have, have to, to redo think, the episode. I have to think about that. Ugh. I've, I've, I've altered uh, Morris's DNA. Um, so Black Book Magazine, they had this to say about uh, Paul Young's cover. They said, generally, it's understood as the worst cover of the song. It's so goddamn terrible, we're not even going to post it here. Wow. And they called it Dick Cheese. Oof. You know, it reminds me... Um, oh, I think I'm going to be sick. I know. It's... Uh, <laughs> it's uh, I know dick cheese. I don't want to. It's a, it's a metaphor. I just don't want to. I don't want to think about. Um, and I think again, it, what it gets down to, it reminds me. I think the awfulness of this song really comes down to the fact it's almost just fucking impossible to sing. What do I mean by that? Like, it's like Robert De Niro was asked by Martin Scorsese to be in the Last Temptation of Christ, mm-hmm. and he looked at Martin Scorsese and said, "It's impossible mm-hmm. to play Christ. Mm-hmm. There's no winning playing Christ." 
And I feel like it's like there's no winning covering Level Terrace apart. So I'm trying to remember who played Christ in Last Temptation. It Willem, was Willem Dafoe. And, and yeah. David Bowie was Pontius Pilate. Willem Dafoe, yes. That's right. Actually one of David Bowie's greatest uh, acting roles. Mm, I thought he was good in A Man Who Fell to Earth, actually. Ruined by the soundtrack. Yeah. He should have done the soundtrack. And right? I also liked him in Merry Christmas with Lawrence as well. He was great. Mm-hmm. He is absolutely the best Warhol. Yeah, yeah, yep, 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 yep. I didn't like what was that film he did? The the recent one? No, 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 no. Lou, um, with Marlena Dietrich? No. Oh, I know what you're talking. Oh, oh, Labyrinth. Labyrinth. Yes, yes. yes. Oh, here's another one. Here's another one I loved. Um, There's a book. It's called the Riffology, and it breaks down famous riffs. Mm -hmm. And it says it says um, Paul Young's crucifixion job for a pop audience where the noises in the background are Curtis's nails scraping the inside of his coffin lid and muttering vengeance. Oh, my God. Yes. That's, yeah. So, but I think really, if we're going to talk about it, we have to go to Joy Division's response to the song. Yep. If we're going to end. Yep. Yeah. Let's hear what they had to say. Um, I'm sure they loved it. Right? Well, there, was, there were two, there's sort of two angles on it, I think. Um, so Peter Hook's actual reaction when he was asked, what does he think? of Paul Young's cover, he said, you're actually going to have to say this. You're going to have to read it in a Mancunian accent. Unfortunately, we, we have to do that. Doesn't bother me. He can do Blue Blue Monday if he wants. You have to do it again, even though that was okay. fucking perfect. Right. He Doesn't bother me. He can do Blue Monday if he wants. That's more of a Liverpool-Birmingham accent. Doesn't bother me. He can do Blue Monday if he wants. Give us the Salford. Come on, give us Salford. Salford. Sorry, it's not Salford. Menu. It's, it's Salford. I'm, I mean, I'm doing a Salford there. <laughs> so, but I think the last the last word on it, actually... I've, I've not lived in Manchester for a long time, so Mancunians, please, please uh, take my apologies if I'm a little off on my accent. So You need a six-pack to get it back. A six-pack? Yeah, a beer, six. a vlogger. Bodies. Boddington's. Boddington's, yes. Yeah, bodies. Yes, um, so I think really the last word though on the worst version of the song really came from a comment section I saw on Drowned on Sound which was if Robbie Williams singing a bit of it at the Brits counts then surely that is the worst version ever Paul Young has been eclipsed in his generational awfulness by Robbie Williams's generational awfulness in debasing one of the greatest most meaningful anthems ever wow I think we can say no more that's deep so Robbie Williams has taken the crown from Paul Young. And good luck, Robbie. You can run with that. Yes, we will disinfect you in the future. Mm-hmm. Good night. Good night. Radio 2 listeners chose the nominees for the Brits 25 Award for the best song of the past quarter century. The nominations are... We are the champions by Queen. Wuthering Heights by Kate Bush. Will Tear Us Apart by Joy Division. Angels Angels by Robbie Williams. And Leave Right Now by Will Young.
Anyway, I don't mind who wins as long as it's not that Robbie Williams. <laughs> OK. And the winner is... Sorry, Gary. X take that Robbie Williams oh. for Angel. Love will tear us apart again. Disinfect was created by Morris Bernstein and Matt Deal. Produced by Sean Lewis and Esther Yu. Recorded and mixed by Sean Lewis at W Sound Suite. W Hollywood Theme music by Jeremy Clark A.K.A. Mr. 66 Artwork by Bill McMullen A.K.A. Billions McMillions If you want to tell us how much you love or hate disinfect or wish to purchase an extremely overpriced commemorative mug oven mitt or t-shirt please find us on facebook instagram twitter and disinfectpodcast.com you can also contact us at info at disinfectpodcast.com please like subscribe donate all that shit Thank you, and see you next episode to disinfect more of music's worst songs. Wherever fine podcasts are shilled, copyright Giant Steph 2020, and whatever other necessary boilerplate, legal mumbo jumbo, blah, 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 you hear at the end of your favorite podcasts.